everybody. It's Dale Jr. back again for another episode of the Dale Jr. Download. We got Marcus Smith coming on the show. He's uh, promoting a race over there at Charlotte Motor Speedway all week long, pretty much racing every single night. He's going to tell us how he does it. We're going to talk a lot more about the industry and how we go forward, get fans back to the racetrack. Let's get Marcus in here and get this show started. All right, everybody, just like we said, man, Marcus Smith, he's going to come to the show. Here he is. Good to see you, Marcus. Hey, buddy. Good to see you, too. It's been a while. Yeah, man. Where are you at right now? I'm at my house. What house? You got a lot of houses. <laughs> uh, just one, just one uh, on the backyard, and uh, I'm just hanging out here before I head out to the track a little bit later for the uh, truck race. Yep. So, this is an incredibly unique, uh, busy week for Charlotte Motor Speedway. You've got basically racing every single night. What what does that mean for you as the as the owner of the of the business, uh, the owner of the facility? Yeah. Why why are you still at home? Why well, can't believe you got time to be on this show? <laughs> it's it's, so, it's a great question, but it's so different. You know, not having fans on site just changes how we operate a ton. Uh, there are people at the speedway now, um, you know, doing things like checking the track and uh, making sure all the electrical systems work and uh, just sort of minding all the infrastructure, uh, security and whatnot. I know um, I just got a notice on my phone that uh, security just opened up to screen everybody coming in the garage. So things like that. But um, I'm home and uh, I, I was going to go out to the track, but man, last night somebody uh, ransacked my uh, neighbor's car and came over and tried it. They, I left my door open and they went in my car. There's nothing in it to, um, to get. And, um, man, it makes me so mad in your neighbor, in your own neighborhood there. Yeah. The neighborhood. Yeah. So I was, um, I was irritated about that. That made me mad. This is happening a lot. Did you know that, you know, our late model uh, trailers got broke into either yesterday or a couple days ago. I mean, there seems to be a crime spree going on. Man. Well, these guys, uh, they got credit card, uh, not, not mine, but my neighbors. And they um, went and bought stuff at Walmart up in uh, Salisbury. So, um, you know, from Charlotte to Salisbury last night, 245, got them on video. Uh, so that'll help. And um, police were here doing um, fingerprints and all that kind of good stuff. Well, of all weeks, of all weeks. I mean, if you're going to break into your neighbor's house, come on, could you do it? Couldn't they have done it next week? <laughs> Anytime, man. It just, uh, you know, it really makes you mad if somebody does that. Yeah. I've had a few people come on the property and we had to in install quite an extensive uh, security system with cameras on all corners of the property and yeah. um, nothing more frustrating when you, when you got somebody trying to come come on to something that's yours, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, so sorry to hear about that. But again, like going back to my question about how, how many races you got going on this week. It's a lot. It is. So you take the fan out of the equation, take the responsibilities that that entails for you and your staff and your team. Um, and, and what's left? What, what uh, for us, we are uh, focused on making sure the race is, is as good as it can be. The, all of the, um, all the protocols, you know, are, are followed. Um, the security is smooth. Um, we handle cleaning the facility before and after. Um, and, you know, so for me as a fan, I'm looking forward to all this racing. I love 
being able to tune in, you know, on, on uh, TV. I love watching in Darlington. Um, and I think for all the race fans at home, being able to watch racing Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, it's pretty fun. So yeah. that's uh, kind of what I'm looking forward to for everybody. Are, are you operating with a reduced staff? I mean, I would imagine you are. Oh, man, we usually have 3,000 people putting on the race, um, handling everybody um, and all the details that go along with having a, you know, 100,000 people at a track, camping and uh, everything that goes along with, with the race. It's a huge undertaking. And um, now on site we have, on Sunday for the Coke 600, we had less than 1,000 people on site um, in total. Teams, yeah. um, the Speedway, the network, uh, NASCAR, all that was really reduced down. And, um, you know, so the TV show, we, we tried to look at, you know, a few weeks ago when we were first talking about how do we get this schedule going, um, we started off with, you know, nothing. And we thought, how do we get get started? How do we get some racing on the track? And we developed a protocol, a plan with all the safety in mind, uh, worked with NASCAR, worked with uh, Atrium Health here in Charlotte, uh, worked with governor's office and the uh, North Carolina Department of Health and the counties. And we had to communicate a ton. We had to um, you know, go back and, and rework our plans and uh, just kind of build some, some trust so that we could get a yes to just hold the race and put it on television. Uh, so that was a big win. And, and now we're able to see the races on television. And I think pretty soon, I really think sooner than later, we're going to have fans at the track. You know, I, I look around the country and you see people are able to go shopping at the malls. Restaurants are opening up with, you know, various protocols in place. And so one step after another, we'll all be getting back to the track which I think is going to be a really welcome thing. What's your responsibility when you go to the racetrack? What's your, um, you know, you can't, you can't do all the things you want to do. You can't shake hands and, and right. <laughs> yeah. Do, yeah. You can't, you know, you can't be the typical track owner. Yeah. What, so when you're sitting there watching the 600 this past weekend, what, what is, what are you trying to accomplish? What are you looking at? So, I like, I love being around people. I love that we, we host uh, a party with friends and family. And, um, I have my, my office, um, overlooks the track, beautiful vantage point to see the race from there. My dad came up, oh. he watched the 600. We had some food in my office and, um, we, um, we watched the race at the end of the race. I went down to victory lane. We had a, um, a virtual, uh, deal set up actually a, a, a Zoom call for uh, for Coca Cola, and um, they were sort of you know viewing um, Victory Lane from the from the computer with Zoom, and um, I stood there with uh, with Brad and the trophy and said, "Woo!" And <laughs> <laughs> took a picture, and that was about that was about it. Um, Does, is that awkward? Is that as awkward as it looks? I mean, just g give me the yeah. yeah. <laughs> it, it, that feels like it's awkward. I mean, even I see the victory lane photos. I think it feels great when you're the winner, man. You, that's all you want to do. Um, I ask your buddy right there. I think he knows it feels good to say that. Now I'm sure after the thousandth time, 
it becomes a little re repetitious. <laughs> no, it, no, we all agree it feels good to say woo when you win. I'm saying when you say woo and you're the only one within vicinity in earshot, you're saying woo to yourself. <laughs> and, uh, he came over to me and, and wanted to bump, uh, bump cans. He had his Miller. I had my Coke. And I was like, you know, <laughs> backing up a little bit. Whoa, whoa. I got my personal six feet of space here. Oh, I didn't want the cameras, you know, to say, look at these bad guys. Right. <laughs> exactly. And so, um, but I don't know. Uh, I'm a hugger, man. I was ready to hug him, but we, um, we didn't hug. We just, we, we bumped this and uh, congratulated him. And he's real excited because at Charlotte, we have this uh, really nice motor coach lot for 600 winners. And it's, um, we just redid it. And uh, the, the, after he said, you know, man, thank you, I won. He said, I get to park in the 600 coach lot now. And <laughs> <laughs> pretty funny. That yeah. is pretty funny. I didn't know that that was a thing they did. I, I, I didn't know that. That's, that's interesting. All these little traditions. Yeah. Boy, I'm telling you, even, even the retired drivers still hang on to those spots, Mike. Oh, Don't they? I guess so. I've heard that. Yeah, as long as they, as long as they can. As long as they keep coming. <laughs> as long as they'll let you. Yeah. Oh, no. As long as they keep bringing their bus. I know a few of the tire drivers that send their buses over there just to make sure they still can use that spot. Even if they don't go to the race? They're probably not going to be using the bus at all. Yeah. Well, Marcus, there's been a, you know, there's been a lot going on with the racetrack over the last couple of years. The Roval has came about, which has been a great thing. And I think that the Roval, from, and this is my perception now, this isn't, this might not be your reality, but my perception is is that the Roval was brought up as an idea to create some new interest in this facility. Um, racing there, for whatever reason, and everybody's got their opinions and I've got mine, has, on the Oval has not been stellar. Uh, we saw another sort of example of that uh, this past Sunday, whereas the Xfinity race, to me, had all the Oof. bells and whistles. Man, really dramatic. Obviously, um, I'm not there to see crashes. But how they happen, who they're, who's involved, why it happened, uh, that race really reminded me of uh, what's made that Xfinity Series great way back into the 90s and 80s. You know, just a lot of guys trying really hard uh, to make a name for themselves. Great race. And probably going to see the same exact thing tonight in a truck series. And, and with those cars, they, uh, the Xfinity cars seem to use that traction compound just a little bit more than the cup guys. It looks... Seems like to me that the uh, the downforce package on the cup cars sort of take away that advantage of using that higher line because there's just so much downforce and grip. The bottom uh, is is the more preferred place to run. But anyhow, you know, I know you're aware of the product that you see on your racetrack. I know that you you check boxes right when you watch these races. Was this? Oh, yeah. Did I like this? Did I not like this? What is it? What is it that you can do? as an owner of the racetrack, I posed this question in the social media post that I put out today about having you on the show. You know, we, we talk about NASCAR, um, fans go at NASCAR anytime that they don't like something about our sport or they don't approve of what they saw, but what can a track owner do to change what he's seeing at his racetrack? Uh, uh, you know, without, you know, not every, not everybody's got a roval, not everybody can create a roval. So what are some of the things I know you don't want to, just ro race on the roval every time we come to your track. You want to make that oval work. So what are some of the things you can do? 
Well, that's a great question. And, um, you know, if you look at over the years, the things that we've done, um, you go back to, gosh, I think it was 07 maybe when uh, Humpy levigated the track. Yep. Um, that was totally in uh, response to the racing. And that, that was the reason that, you know, he got frustrated and said, well, if NASCAR is not going to do something and he was frustrated with uh, the tires and just mm. the competition. And there's so many things that go into the competition and the, the, the entertainment value of the race. Um, and you saw last night with the Xfinity race, it was great. Why, why is that? You know, and we, we asked those questions ourselves. And at that time, the levigation race, that was a response to, man, I, I want to do something to make the racing better. And um, over the years, we've done things like in Kentucky, where we did the variable, variable banking um, in Kentucky. We did the same thing in Texas to try and, and do things that would, um, you know, add some more excitement to the competition. Um, Charlotte, the last, it's a great sort of observation experiment. When you look at Sunday night, the cup cars, and then Monday night, the Xfinity cars, it's a great time to just look at it and, and ask ourselves, what's different here? And what, what is it? Is it something with the rules of the car? Um, is it something with the track? Is it something with the tires? I don't really know all the answers, but... Here's one thing that I do know that's so different about NASCAR than any other sport. In NASCAR, the teams have sort of a mandate to go and outsmart the rules, right? <laughs> no other sport has that. You know, in, in, in basketball, you can't if, – if one team, if the Carolina Tar Heels could invent a mechanism that made their ball go in the net every time they throw it up, and Duke, you know, didn't have that – Duke would have to spend the money to get that, that thing, that technology. Well, obviously that doesn't exist because the NCAA wouldn't allow it. But in NASCAR, it is allowed. You know, that, that kind of rule figuring out and, and a way to, to get around and, and whatnot. So, we'll call it innovation. <laughs> innovation. Yeah. Innovation. That's right. Um, so that, I think, is um, – th that's why it's a never-ending chase – for NASCAR to uh, always have to catch up with the teams, bring them back, you know, on, on the, the different innovating that they're doing. And, um, and it's, it's a big challenge. And um, I, I don't know why it's different in the uh, Cup Series versus the Xfinity Series, but I imagine part of it has to do with the, the, the amount of money that goes into innovating. And... Uh, it's it's a it's an interesting thing that is like I said it's a never-ending challenge. Uh, we just we won't stop uh, having to to chase down these um, these innovations because once you do, somebody else you know will continue to to try to outsmart them. Hey, let's take a quick break from our conversation with Marcus and have Dale Jr. tell us about an important partner. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. 
And what makes a home is more than just the house or the property, it's the location and neighborhood, Dalton. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when we say in-depth, we're talking deep in-depth. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, a home, this is everything you need to know all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. Um, one of the things that I noticed about Charlotte Murray Speedway uh, that's unique to, to that particular track is when you last repaved it, you used a particular... Um, new innovation uh, that has uh, it's a surface with rubber polymers in it so it's mm-hmm. kind of like rubber rubber when you put a tire on that racetrack and and, and right. the color of the racetrack itself when you look at other racetracks I mean when, I don't even know what year it was that Charlotte was repaved but when you look at other racetracks that have been repaved that that long ago and it, you'll see the surface of the track itself, the shade of the track itself change, lighten up a little bit as it's bleached by the sun and so forth. Mm-hmm. Charlotte Murray Speedway is as dark as the day it was repaved, in my opinion. Now it's getting yeah. bumpier. The drivers do talk about the bumps. That was one thing yeah. that your dad always uh, was proud of, the character and the challenge of getting through some of the bumps in the racetrack as they got more severe over the years. But um, did you do too good a job when you repaved <laughs> Charlotte Murray Speedway last time? You know, it's a uh, it's a good it's a good question. So, actually, let me tell you what we did at Kentucky and Texas. Um, we we asked this question to ourselves: Why do we um, when we pave? Why do we do it the way we do it? And why is it you know three or four years down the road before the track comes in and develops what we usually consider better racing? And um, so what we did in Texas, Kentucky on the, those repaves over the last few years is we, we left the top surface of the track rougher and we didn't put a finish coat on it. So, you know, if you go to a parking lot, an, an asphalt parking lot and it's paved, um, you know, that finished coat is really smooth. And, you know, like if you like skateboarding, you can go and you skateboard on that asphalt and it's super smooth. But if you go to an old parking lot it's very rough and that's kind of the way we like a track as well yeah um so we we changed the way we finished off the paving at kentucky and texas to try to bring it in more quickly we use some other um chemicals and processes to what we call season the track there to just run some experiments because nobody in the paving business paves like we do (laughs) You know, I mean, yeah. when you think about it, you pave roads, you pave parking lots. You want them perfect. To, yeah, the goal is to pave them so you don't have to pave them, you know, for a long time. That's not the goal in racing. The goal is to make it a good racing track, make it competitive. So we've just started thinking about this over the last, I would say, seven or eight years. And um, we've paved two tracks um, in that time, and we have – adjusted how we do it um in the next one we pave we've got a couple of notes on things that we'll do differently um but you know i think 
again, comparing last night's race, the Xfinity Series, to the 600 on Sunday, I think you got to ask, is it the track? Yeah. Because Monday was a great race last night. That was fantastic, side-by-side, you know, four or five cars under a blanket through the turns. That was fun. Um, Is it the track? Yeah. That's, um, I think it's worth asking. Well, I mean, how, how would it be? The tra- explain that to me. Well, I mean, I think a lot of times you wonder, you know, does the, like Dale said, is it paved too perfect? I think typically a new paving, a new pavement on, on a track, it's so sticky that the, you know, the only place to be is the bottom. And that uh, is what you might call too good. Too gr- it's got too much grip too much grip and you just have to be at the bottom because you can stick down there and it's the fastest way around and no other way around is going to get okay. you to the front. Right. But you know, Charlotte last night was, was proved that you can be in the bottom, the middle, the top, and you can carry speed through the turns down the straightaways and it, it was all good. So that, that I think has to, you know, give us the, the question of what, what are we chasing in, in the competition? What's different about it? Um, I don't know. Yeah. It's interesting because at, at a mile, at most mile and a half, um, you know, the new rules package with the high downforce, low horsepower, nets some pretty decent results. I agree. For whatever reason, when it, we take this package to Charlotte, they don't, they don't, they don't gel. Um, and, and I, I wonder if there, I wonder what, if there's any possibility, what, what if, if there's any chance that NASCAR or that you would be in conversations or try to encourage NASCAR to look at trying a different package, more similar to what the Xfinity guys are running. Well, that's, I, I, I want to give uh, credit to NASCAR for, for thinking like that because, um, like this last year, last year's all-star race, we had elements of this year's. Uh, cup package in the all-star race and it really did produce some good racing last year Um, then we saw at places like like Vegas where the racing was really good I think we had our best race in Vegas we've had in a long time earlier uh, this year and um, that I thought was gonna you know show dividends at places like Charlotte We'll see how, you know, when we get to Atlanta, when we get to Texas, is it different? Um, have the teams caught up? Did they figure some things out with the new package already in, um, in the time off? And, um, you know, I'm sure there was some um, smart guys working at the shop trying to figure out ways to, you know, beat the system, beat the rules. That's what they're supposed to do. For that point alone, and I, I am super ignorant to this whole process, and I'm learning a lot just from what you guys are saying here. I don't know how it could be the track if, one, it works for one series better than it works for another series, and, two, the rules packages are continuously changing and teams are continuously innovating. What is the track really supposed to do to keep an entertaining race through all of when the goalpost keeps moving? Right. Yeah. So that, I guess that's where I'm, I'm ignorant to this thing, but maybe that's why I, but going back to something you said, did I hear you say this correctly? Did I understand it correctly? So you were literally, when you repaved these tracks, the high groove is paved completely different. You didn't even put a finishing coat on the high groove to make it more rough and therefore try to create more grip. All the pavement at uh, Kentucky and Texas is paved basically without a finishing top coat. 
So if you went on it, uh, just walk the track after we finish paving it, you would not think that it is, a, you would realize it's not a typical asphalt paving. Got it. Um, it, it looks different. The, the size of rocks, you know, and when you pave with asphalt, um, you use rocks in the, they call it aggregate. It's in the, uh, the asphalt and we use bigger rocks to help make bigger pores in the pavement. And therefore create more tire wear. Is that correct? Yeah. yeah a rougher surface um, was the goal and a different surface. I think, um, you know, when you, when you have those pores, every little edge takes away some of the contact from the tire to the pavement. Yeah. So um, that's what we're trying to do something different. Yeah. I think it's a great idea. Um, I really got to applaud you guys for even, even being willing to do that. I mean, if I'm a track owner, I'm going to want to pave my racetrack and, and I want it to last a hundred years. I'm not really sure I'm interested in paving it to last less than that. Or, you know, and, and so it's a bit of a, cause it's an expensive thing to have to pave your racetrack. It is. Yeah. It's an it, interesting dilemma because you, you could ask yourself, is it, is it, whose job is it to create the best race? Is it the tracks or is it the sports or is it the teams? Is it the drivers? Who's, whose job is it? And, and there's, a fiscal uh, obligation yeah. in, in every one of those decisions. And that would be very, that would be difficult. I, 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 uh, I see what you're saying. It comes down to, um, I think it comes down to NASCAR and the promoters to look at the competition and, you know, we're, we're all in the sports entertainment business. And yes. I know a lot of people out there who don't like entertainment, you know, they don't like, they might say, man, that's, that's not pure to the sport, but you know, if it's not entertaining, we're, we don't have a business. And, um, and so it's up to every league, NFL, NBA, uh, baseball, they look at the quality of entertainment that's being produced and they might adjust the rules from time to time. That's why we have things like the three-point line. That's why we have things like the, the shot clock in basketball. Right. Uh, and a whole bunch of other rules. And, um, you know, NASCAR, the team's job is to win. Yeah. That is their job. And, and you know, we can't fault somebody for wanting to win. That's, that's what they should be doing. Um, and then it's, it's incumbent on the rule makers to, uh, to adjust and to, to pull back in some areas that need to be pulled back on for the sake of the entertainment value and the competition. Great competition produces great drama and entertainment. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a uh, responsibility, I think, of everybody, the, the organization, uh, the, the track builders, owners, uh, the tire company that connects the race car to the road to be in that conversation to do what's best to create the best racing. Yeah. And I, and I like that you guys are learning about how to pave these racetracks and the best way to probably produce the best style of racing that we want to see. Um, but I'm with you as well. The car, the car itself is probably the most critical piece to all of that and how that car reacts. So we're racing without fans and, um, it's extremely awkward, upsetting to some people but it's necessary. We got to get our, you know, we got to get our sport going again. So this is how we have to do it. Um, but yeah. I know that probably nobody is more eager to get fans back at the racetrack than you as the track owner. Where, where are we in that process? I mean, this, 
everything has moved so quickly. I don't even have, I don't even hesitate to ask you that question because the game changes every day. Yeah. So where, where are we right now with getting fans back to the racetrack and how much progress is left? So we, every day we get closer. Um, when you turn on the news and you see that uh, in some places restaurants are opened, um, public areas are opened up, um, even if it's at 50%, things like that um, are just you know, loosening the log jam that's preventing us all from getting back to, in this case, getting back to speedways for NASCAR races. And um, so in every state, we're working with the, the governor's offices and uh, working on those protocols and the laws uh, and what they'll allow us to do. And I think, um, you know, this current bunch of events that, that NASCAR has announced um, don't have any fans at them. But I think as we keep going here, um, you know, this week is more promising than last week. And I think next week will be even more promising so. Do you have racetracks that are preparing for fans? Yes, absolutely. We have, um, we have plans. We're working on protocols to you know, be ready for fans, uh, you know, thinking about the various steps that need to be taken to allow fans back at the track, and we're looking forward to that. What's the most likeliest fan that comes to the racetrack first? The, the guy that's going to bring his camper and and, and park in the infield, uh, you know, kind of huddle in that little space of his? Or uh, is it the fan that's buying the, the race day ticket that's going to show up to the gate and sit in the grandstands? Which fan, I guess, is the easier one to accommodate in this situation? Mm. Well, it's a great question. Mm -hmm. I think that the, um, the infield is going to be maybe the last one to come back okay. because um, – you know, we're, we're spreading out a lot more now with the garage area um, where all the haulers are parked and the uh, motor coaches and the emergency management uh, vehicles are parked and, uh, and that sort of thing. Just to provide for the best environment in that situation, it's going to, um, I think, cause us at most speedways to limit the infield to just, uh, you know, event credential people. Um, so to your, to your question, it would be the grandstands that we would be able to open up more quickly. But, but you've got campgrounds on the outside of the track too. So, okay, so you'll be able to camp. Uh, in fact, our campgrounds that we have, uh, in Charlotte are open, uh, now we have campers there. Really? Um, yeah. Like people that, that might live in their motorhome. Um, they've been there for, you know, for a long time. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. I mean, you have some retirees, uh, typically that, that, uh, just sort of, roam the uh the country and and see things and so they've uh some people have been staying with us uh they might stay a week or two or a month at a time oh so they're not it's not race it's not really a connector associated to the race itself you just have people coming and going through the campground yeah, yeah. have you had any unrulies because i mean dale jr brought up this point a few weeks ago when we announced that we were going to be going back the sport was coming back he thought there would be at least one is trying to get in. More than one. <laughs> oh, okay, so you're yeah. confirming that. I'd be disappointed if we didn't. I mean, <laughs> why, why not? Um, I, uh, heck, if I was in charge of security, I might let you in. But um, <laughs> it's, um, you know, no harm, no foul. We had people um, try to get in the track on Sunday for the 600. We had, mm. uh, we had, I don't know, gosh, a few dozen cars parked outside turns one and two 
because it's kind of elevated and you can you can see a little bit you can see the big speedway tv um you can hear it so i think they were parked out there drinking a few beverages and just kind of enjoying it did anybody in the suites throw a big party the suites weren't open but the uh the condos the condos uh, that's what i meant yeah, those um, overlook turn one, and you know, so those are people's residence, and they're allowed to go to their to their home, and they're allowed to have people in their home, and so uh, they had fun. They had okay. fun. I thought it was great. Yeah. Right. So when you're allowing, I guess the, the first door to get unlocked was the door to the suites and the door to the, you know, the the, the condos overlooking the track. Which you have those at Atlanta, you have those at Texas. Uh, right. Are you learning from those, you know, that experience of having those fans there and, and being able to get them into the area safely and back out of the area safely and be able to screen them properly or, you know, run them through the protocols? Are you guys learning quite a bit from that experience to be able to help you open up further? We're, we're learning from that. We're learning from the whole thing. Um, but, you know, the protocol that we're doing now was developed weeks ago i think six or eight weeks ago mm. and it is very stringent i mean for this for today for sunday tomorrow there's only one way in the track and there's only one way on the entire property you enter through z max dragway which is across the street and you get stopped once with uh, bomb sniffing dogs you get stopped again with the medical uh, professionals that look you in the eye, they check your temperature, they make sure you're on the list, they ask you five or six questions, and if you pass all that, then you can go. And they give you a sticker that uh, you know every single day there's a new sticker that you have to get on your badge, and that's the only way you get in. Then you drive around the track, and there's a there's a back tunnel that takes you um, onto the rest of the property, but all the other entrances are blocked off by big, um, those big Jersey barriers. And, um, and so you can't, you can't get in any other way. That I think is an example of, of how, how things are changing. And, you know, six, eight weeks ago, that was what we needed to do today. If we're developing a protocol for, you know, six weeks from now, I think it would be less stringent. Um, you know, to allow fans in, we're not going to make everybody go through that kind of check. It would just, you know, be, it's not what you see if you go to the grocery store or the mall. So we'll, we'll have a similar protocol. I think of what we see across the rest of society. Is, is it too far down the road to assume? Uh, Cause you know, we know that some pro sports franchises like football teams have announced 50% sales, right? That yeah. seems to be kind of what people are trying to do to make room for space. And, and, and it is so I'm going to assume that's the first step in getting fans back. Is that a fair assumption? One and two is, is it even possible to start planning for filling all those seats to full capacity? Or is that just so far in the distance? Where it's, it's not it's not worth considering right now. I think that the first step is to get to fans at the events, um, even if it's 50 percent. And, and I think that NASCAR will be the first major sport to have spectators back at the live events. Um, you know, football starts up in August. I think before then, you'll see NASCAR mm. races fans in the stands. Okay. 
All right. So, there, you know, we, we got a lot of racetracks that have gained races. Um, it's pretty interesting uh, how NASCAR and, and I'm sure you and a lot of people in the industry have sort of figured out how to tie all these knots up together and make this work. Um, but we also have some racetracks that aren't going to see any racing this year. Uh, mm-hmm. We got diehard fans that watch, uh, you know, watch our show and, and listen to our podcast that are big, big, big supporters of these racetracks like Sonoma and so forth. These tracks will be coming back stronger than ever uh, next year, will they not? Oh, yeah. Yeah, they will. I think uh, this, what we're seeing now, uh, like the race tomorrow night in Charlotte, it's a shift. This isn't, um, you know, closing down Sonoma. It's, it's just a shift. It's, we have to play the cards that were dealt. And when we you know, look at the, the, the landscape and the various regulations that are out there, um, the, we also had to catch up you know, on the nine weeks that we, that we missed. And how do we do that? We've got to run some races during the week. And uh, so this is, this is just shifting to meet the challenges that we've all been given. And, you know, that's, that's really, actually, it should really be applauded. And I, I hate it for the fans that are missing out on their local track this year. Um, but, you know, the, the bright side of it is, and I'm an optimist, I always like to look at the bright side. Um, the bright side is you wouldn't have been able to go to the event at your, uh, at your favorite track anyway. So we're, we want to get back on the track. We want to show fans some racing. And, and I think that's a, a huge plus for us. We're the first major sport back on television. And, uh, you know, that's a, that's a huge deal, I think, for all of us as NASCAR fans. What has all that done to the, the planning for the new schedule next year? I know you guys are heavily involved in that. Uh, let's put it on hold. <laughs> do, you we were, think that it, do you think that it delays it like it did the race, the new car? Well, I would say it's possible that the uh, coronavirus, the pandemic, could delay it um, for various reasons. Um, but, you know, we, we started talking about uh, next year's schedule again. But, you know, gosh, for a couple of months, we, we just sort of put that aside right. and had to focus on the now. And um, I didn't know if that might force you guys to sort of, you know, continue with the current schedule that we have another season. Well, it might, but I would say one big thing to, to keep in mind is we haven't even seen the, the changes. I mean, we've seen a lot of changes right now. Uh, we're going to see a big change tomorrow night in Charlotte when it, running a cup race on Wednesday. Yeah. Um, but as we get into the season, there are a lot of things that are different this year that we haven't even started with yet. And I think that's Every time somebody asks me about next year's schedule, I always say, well, you remember this year we've got a lot of changes. We haven't yeah. seen yet. You know, we've got a doubleheader in Pocono. We've got Bristol in the playoffs. That's going to be uh, a new twist and, and a whole bunch of other things. So I, I feel like as a fan, I'm looking forward to seeing the changes in, in, in force of what we have uh, this year and next year. Uh, you know, we'll see what happens. We've got some cool ideas and great opportunities, but um, we've got a lot to enjoy yet this year. Hey, Dale Jr., we've got a returning partner on today's download, one of your favorites. Let's hear about them. 
NASCAR history and heritage come alive at the NASCAR Hall of Fame. Celebrate my fellow inductees Donnie Allison, Jimmy Johnson, and Chad Knauss with their class of 2024 artifacts enshrined in the Hall of Honor. Don't miss the Ford Performance Showcase. It's a new inside NASCAR exhibit that showcases the Ford Mustang's next-gen car through its design and innovation. The latest edition of Glory Road explores over 75 years of racing history with its cool 33-degree banking and 19 cars on display. On Mondays and Fridays, there's guided tours that take you behind the scenes with incredible stories and access to a NASCAR Hall of Fame insider. Or you can explore the hall at your own pace with the new mobile hub. It's a digital experience. Get behind the wheel of a realistic iRacing simulator. Or you can learn how fast-paced pit stops work with the Pit Crew Challenge. From the legends who shaped the sport to the new heroes earning a spot in the record books, the NASCAR Hall of Fame delivers an unforgettable experience. Book your visit to the hall today at nascarhall.com. Marcus, I'm curious about something. You, you know, we expect so much of you, of you and, and present, track presidents and NASCAR, and you have such a sense of obligation. I mean, we've spent this entire time talking about, hey, what, you know, what's coming up next, and what are you going to do about this track pavement? All this. So I want to remove that. How are you doing personally? How is your family how are how have you on a human level been navigating this thing and and how have you been able to de- detach the things that are sitting there looming over you as far as tv people and executives and nascar and rules and teams and tracks and you got eight tracks we're talking about charlotte but you got you know sonoma lost a race where have you been able to find some personal time to honestly be able to navigate this yeah well man that's a that's good. I, I have, um, I've been enjoying time with my family. Um, I've been home you know, a lot, a lot more than usual. And, um, I bet like you guys, you know, you, you have been, you've had an opportunity to enjoy your family more. I I'm in a different life stage. I've got two big kids, one just graduated college and one that's in college and they both been home, um, since spring break. We went on spring break in, um, in early March, and we haven't been off spring break yet, you know, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, um, I, I just feel um, there's a, a couple of, of things for me. I've felt incredibly grateful that I've been able to spend time with my family. Um, I also feel really bad for all the people that have been in, impacted by losing their jobs, um, the people that you know, have been impacted uh, in their health. And, um, you know, I feel, I, I feel terrible for them and, and been, uh, you know, praying a lot for, for those folks. My, um, uh, our pastor has, has been, we, we go to church on TV now. So we just right. tune in TV and we can sit on the couch, watch church on Sundays. And, um, he, he's had great messages, you know, things like, um, you know, don't hope to get back to normal, hope to get back to better. Mm. And, um, you know, how God has a plan with all these things. And I, I think, um, yeah, I've just been grateful to be able to hang out with my, with my family this whole time. And we, we still, uh, love each other, which is good. Uh, <laughs> you never know, right? Pick us out of the house, uh, you know, after a, a long weekend. So this is a, mir- a minor miracle. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. On, on another light note, we, um, we did a little project together several several months ago, 
back in the winter when we went over to North Wilkesboro Speedway and did a little weed eating to clean the track up to be able to <laughs> scan it. cold day, too. We picked the coldest day of the year. I knew that we were – I knew that <laughs> the weather was going to be chance. You know, it was, it was as bad as I imagined it could have been. So much so, we wondered – Look, I ain't going to lie. It was wet and cold so much that there was a question on whether our two key stars of the show were going to show up. I wasn't going to miss it. Gosh, man. I was uh, – I thought for sure Dale would have said, let's do this on a prettier day. <laughs> <laughs> we're already there. <laughs> I don't know. I got the text. No, he's coming. I was like, dang it. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> uh, you were pulling for him to pull out. You just didn't want to be uh, the first man. person. It was cold and raining. It was awful. So it, it, the, the video didn't look that bad. No. It really didn't. Yeah. Yes. What did you think about the video? It was great. I loved it. I yeah. loved it. It was really cool. We, um, and, man, you know, having it uh, in iRacing, and I love your vision for um, – you know, for everybody who, who doesn't know this, I'm sure uh, most everybody does, but Dale and I were in an airplane headed to a race and, and you leaned over and said, hey, I got an idea. Um, what if we could clean up North Wilkesboro and put it in iRacing? And sort of the purpose is to, to, to capture it digitally so that we can have it, you know, digitally for people to race on. And I, I thought it was a great idea. And um yeah, I was wondering if you're ever going to let me fly with you again. <laughs> no, <your> way. <laughs> <laughs> no way. Anytime. Oh, no, you have no idea what you're saying. No, I, I, it's okay if you say no. It's okay if you give it some time. You're going to end up with more track repavings. You're going to end up with – oh, yeah. Hey. We're, you, you're going to have camping spots. You're going to have motorhome spots. Every – I can promise you every time that I see Marcus, I'm pretty sure at some point in the conversation, I had tell him some idea of how, he, how to fix something. Right. I love ideas. I love yeah. it. Oh, stop, Marcus. Okay, Marcus, it's okay if you say, listen, has there ever been an idea? And you don't even have to say what it is. Have you ever been like, outwardly, you're saying, sure, that's a great idea. Inwardly, um, you're saying, ain't a chance it ever going to happen. Dale's I think lost when his I mind. keep telling him to asphalt Bristol, that's probably what he does. That one is a tough one. <laughs> it'd be super expensive. When I tell him to, that he needs to reconfigure Atlanta back the way it was in the 1990s. That's another one. That's another one. Between, between asphalt Bristol, reconfiguring Atlanta, and I'm sure Nashville comes up every time. So Nashville, we have some opportunities. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll work on that. And, um, you know, it's uh, – That'll be good. So to, so to be clear, I know a lot of people will, were probably excited to hear um, if we were going to ask you about that. So Nashville's not dead in the water. <laughs> no, no, not at all. Yeah, um, that's good to hear. Excited to, to get back to Nashville. Um, you know, they had the terrible tornado that went through Nashville yes. um, earlier this year, and then the pandemic hit. So it's been, it's been tough um, yeah. on, on Tennessee. And um, – but of course, we have Bristol Motor Speedway there. We've been doing a lot to uh, to help with tornado uh, recovery, and then now with with the pandemic. And um, but we're still in in good, you know, constant communication with uh, folks in Nashville. Man, that's awesome to hear. I know you're happy to hear that, Dale. I love it. I love Nashville. I can't wait. Marcus, do you need any other help that you need us to kind of help you with? 
man, we need to keep working on it. I don't know. The soccer team didn't work out, so um, we'll think of something. Okay. Yeah, yeah. We, it was a chance the soccer team was coming to Charlotte. Marcus was trying to help that happen. Yeah. Yeah. You'd make a great uh, general manager of the soccer team. A general manager, man. I don't know about that. <laughs> you know, I played soccer uh, on in, in, when I was a freshman in high school. I remember you telling me that. But, uh, yeah, I rarely saw the field. Well, that may, well, I don't know. I played soccer. I was goalie because I was the fattest kid on the team. <laughs> oh, come on now. Took up more square footage. <laughs> Lord. It require, what time will you go to the track today? Um, I'll go right after this. I'm going to um, – actually, I'm going to go pick up our dog, June Carter, who's, uh, who's at the vet. She um, got Your dog's name is June Carter? That's a great name for a dog. Yeah, she's a sweet dog too. I'm going to go pick her up, bring her home, and then I'm going to head out to the track. And will you go through all that checkpoint too? Like, a, no, I've got to follow the rules. I yeah. asked him that yesterday. I, <laughs> I texted him and said, do I have to go through the checkpoint again? And um, he said, yes, you do. And I said, all right, that's you, fine. You got to get a sticker. I had to get a sticker. They checked me with the temperature thing, and I was only 97 degrees. And they said I was cold-hearted. So. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, after the after the races uh, this week, uh, what's the next thing for Charlotte Motor Speedway? Do you guys start turning that thing for the Roval right away, or do you got a couple other events that are possible throughout the uh, summer that might be happening there? Yeah, we're gonna do the um, we're gonna do the summer shootout, Legends Cars, um, mm. where you had some uh, success um, in the Legends Cars in the quarter mile. We'll be he, doing he that. Wrecked a guy, but yeah, I, I won. He wrecked a win. I bumped him out of the way, Mike. He finished second. You wrecked your owner. He survived. He survived it, Mike. I the only way to, to pass was to bump. That's right. That was, uh, <laughs> he had to do it. But it was his car owner. It would have been as exciting of a, of a, of a win. Right? <laughs> All right. Fair point. Well, I, did it, I did it for the promoter. That's right. <laughs> See there? That, that's a driver <laughs> mentality that we need. It ain't just about winning. It's about putting on a show. That's it. <laughs> All right. So you got summer shootout. Every driver's meeting at every short track around the country uh, includes a speech from the track owner that says, let's put on a good show tonight. It sure does. There you go. Um, but, you know, we're going to do a summer shootout. We've got um, a new driving school at Charlotte Motor Speedway that is uh, – it's all the Ford performance cars out there. And wow. they, they use the Roval, and, man, it is – I can't wait to try that out. Um, so I think I'm going to get out on that next week. And, um, we actually have a new, uh, we, we just finished repaving our karting track. I don't know if you ever gotten into the GoPro karting track or anything, but a little bit. it's, um, brand new karting track. I've got, um, Jimmy and uh, a few other guys are going to come out and, um, give it a, give it a whirl. Give me some pointers before we paint the lines on it and put in the uh, rumble strips. And where exactly is that as far as proximity goes? Where is that located? In uh, turns three and four, that whole area. In the is... infield. Okay. Got it. Yep. Are you expecting, uh, I mean, if you're going to put some money into putting a new payment down there, are you going to uh, are you going to create any type of a business model similar to the one that we have here, here GoPro? The GoPro, GoPro Motoplex here in, in Mooresville is amazing. Yeah, it is amazing. Um, I know it's really popular. I So – We've had a karting track at Charlotte for a long time. And um, guys like Michael Schumacher have driven on it. Um, mm -hmm. It's one of 
I was over in England a few years ago and one of the motorsports riders over there saw my shirt said Charlotte Motor Speedway and he hadn't asked me about NASCAR or the Coke 600. He asked me about our karting course mm. because it's so well known in the karting wow. world. Um, so at the Speedway, we have a bunch of um, we've had a number of uh, sinkholes because we have a very old plumbing system under the track. And we had to uh, repair a number of sinkholes. And then part of that process was we needed to um, repave the track. So once we repaved it, we, um, uh, we made some tweaks. We got some good input from guys like Max Pappas and um, uh, Tiffin uh, up at GoPro and, uh, and others. So it's paved. It's all ready to go except for the, the, the striping and the um, – uh, the curbing. Nice. So, yeah, should be fun. Yeah, man. All right, Marcus, we'll let you get uh, to the vet and uh, pick up the dog so you can get on your way and get get your uh, get back to your racetrack. And and we just appreciate you, buddy, for giving us a minute of your your time this week. It's a busy busy week for you. Uh, so thanks, pal, for coming on and yeah, being so transparent. You know, being willing to talk about everything. Uh, I know we ask a lot of questions. So uh, good to see you guys. Always good to see you, buddy. Yeah, yes, look forward to catching up in person. That's right. Uh, the other thing I've learned through all this is that uh, we were watching a movie the other night, and I said, you know what? I think one of my things I've learned from this is that actuality is better than virtuality. Yeah. We've got a – the actual is better than the virtual, and um, I'm looking forward to everybody getting back in person and hanging out. I agree with that 100%, buddy. All right, take it easy. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. Picture this, it's blazing hot outside and you need to head to work. You get into your car and turn on the AC to get the cold air pumping as soon as possible, but it doesn't work. Instead, blowing hot air out of your vents and directly into your face. No, your car doesn't hate you. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the air conditioning system, and there's an easy all-in-one solution that will restore your cold air in no time. There's no need to go to the shop and pay lots of money when you can save time and money recharging yourself with AC Pro Recharge Kits. AC Pro Recharge Kits make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience. And the AC Pro app offers clear, vehicle-specific instructions to help you get the job done in less than 10 minutes. So pick up an AC Pro Recharge Kit at any store selling auto products and confidently restore your car's cold air yourself today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Hey everybody, it's Dale Jr. Uh, here for the Dale Jr. Download. This is our live segment on Ask Jr. for our YouTube handle at Dirty Mo Media, presented by Xfinity. Uh, they've been a great partner of ours for a long time and uh, obviously supported our sport in uh, many, many ways. So we appreciate them supporting our podcast. Thanks for everybody tuning in. Uh, Lee is going to get the questions going. Let's go. Yeah, first question coming from Jason Knackers. What is your opinion of NASCAR possibly using the cone chooser lane on restarts that short tracks around the country use? Yeah, I'd be good with it. I think it's worth a shot. I think um, there's no better time to really try some of these things. Now, I'll be the first to tell you that. I hate gimmicks. I don't like gimmicks. But something that's been used and used successfully in motorsport in other areas, whether it's, it's short tracks whether it's in F1, I don't care wherever it comes from. If it's successful there, I'm definitely open to the idea of it. And I think that this is a great time to try some of those things. Uh, we're kind of shooting from the hip as we as we get back to racing here. And every form 
of our sport, like from, you know, trying to get fans back into the stands to trying to get the schedule back up to speed and, and get a lot of races in so we can crown our champion at the end of the year in all of our series. Not really making it up as we go along, but I think that this is an opportunity if there ever was one to try a couple of those ideas, a choose cone or something like that might be pretty neat uh, at some of these racetracks. John Murphy wants to know of the different generational cars that you drove, um, which one was your favorite? My favorite was probably the, probably anywhere from nine. I mean, the, the Xfinity car I drove in 1998 and 98, 99 was ex- very comfortable, a lot of fun, very fast. But for whatever reason, whether it was my inexperience or the, the way those cars drove and the tire and so forth, we didn't really search around a lot and run different grooves. And that really kind of started when I got into the cup car. And I had a lot of fun from like my rookie year all the way up to around 2005, 2006, you know, driving that car that we had in the cup series. We had a Monte Carlo, a couple different versions of that, the Impala and so forth. But um, I really enjoyed it because even though the car had quite a lot of downforce, um, we really had those bodies all twisted up to create a ton of downforce. And there was a lot of power. The racing was really good. That's a bit surprising because, you know, sometimes downforce can be the, you know, can be the, the enemy of, of, of good racing. But I really enjoyed, you know, being able to, those cars, you could kind of move around a lot and, and there weren't a lot of guys that would venture into the high lane or run up against the fence. So I felt like that I was kind of, you know, one of a few that would go up there and make make speed up there. And it was nice because, I, you know, not a lot of guys up there doing it. So, I, you know, when the, the worst by far without question is the COT. When that car came in brand new, all the way up until it was, uh, the, it was eventually kind of phased out, that car just drove awful. There was nothing good about anything that car did. And it was the most frustrating thing you I can say I'd ever did behind the wheel of a race car was drive that. But a splitter right on the ground. If you drove the car just another car length deeper in the corner, you got on the splitter or you blow through the front tires and, and you just couldn't drive the car but one exact way. It had to be driven at one speed. It couldn't go that speed. It couldn't go any faster than that because it just wouldn't handle or wouldn't wouldn't handle, you know, just didn't have the grip and the car's sitting there right on the splitter. So it was very frustrating. And it was frustrating to watch Tony Jr. and those guys try to figure it out trying to figure out how to get it to work. It was just a maddening experience. <laughs> I know that wasn't that I know that wasn't the question, but it's hard to talk about what car you liked without talking about maybe which car you didn't like. Pete Lawson, um, what was it like driving a V eight supercar here in Australia? I drove a V eight supercar back around two thousand and four, two thousand and six, sometime around then. Me and some buddies went on a two week trip to Australia and Paul Morris, a great friend of mine who is going to be listening to this podcast let me come over to uh, a test track that they were actually performing a test for a new car. So I got to drive their older car and I had a blast. I'd never raced. uh, I never drove a car when I was sitting on the right side. So I'm sitting on the right side and I'm shifting with my left hand. I I put a video up on YouTube of me driving from the in car and uh, you can see quite a few of the mistakes I made, but because I definitely, I don't know how, I didn't blow the motor up in that car because there's a couple times I went in the wrong gear and did some did some things bad with the transmission, but it the motor survived it and and we got to test all day and have a lot of fun. So I never thought when I was going over there to Australia that I was going to get to do that. I'm a huge fan of V8 supercar. Um, to me, it's I just love their aggressive style. The Australian 
sort of approach to things is a lot of fun and you don't you can't really understand what that means until you go there and you spend a lot of time around people in Australia but their their outlook and approach to life to me is very fun and unique and they're quite aggressive when it comes to race car drivers but they're also very very sharp and and technically sound you can't go around a track uh, uh, like Bathurst without really being technical and sharp in particular but man, they, they will put the bumper to you or if you, you know, they feel like that they need to get rough. They don't really have a problem uh, beating and banging a little bit. So I always enjoyed that about the, the V8 supercar series and was thrilled to be able to drive a, you know, to kind of get behind the wheel of one of those cars to understand what, what they feel like. Hey, Lee, and not to hijack this, uh, ask junior, but Dale, did you say Paul Morse would be listening to our podcast? Yeah. Paul's a big, big fan of our podcast. He does a little, some media, uh, podcasting stuff like that itself uh over in australia if you follow him on on instagram you'll kind of see what he's doing but so let's just go ahead and say paul we would love to have you as a guest on the dale jr download oh heck yeah please yeah. let's do this awesome. next week yeah. to it come on if we're still doing zooms you know let's get paul morris on this dang thing tomorrow paul this it. is our pitch he did it heartbreak uh, Blake M is watching on YouTube. He wants to know if you think that racing has been hurt by not practicing. I don't think that the racing has been hurt by not practicing. It it make to me it draws a little more interest because you really know that a lot of guys are uh, going into the corner for the first time, not knowing anything about what their cars are capable of doing. That was so intriguing last night for the Xfinity race. You could see a lot of those guys were willing to take whatever risks and send the car into the corner not knowing what was going to happen. And some guys weren't, some guys were very cautious and maybe, maybe smart, however you want to categorize it. But to me, that is extremely intriguing when I'm watching those first few laps of the race, knowing the drivers don't know. Uh, that's, that to me is interesting. It's dramatic. Also, you know, the teams have simulation, not only the, the, the manufacturer simulators, but they have computer simulation. They got engineers, Everybody has so much information to be able to kind of get that car in the ballpark. Now, if that wasn't available, yeah, maybe I wouldn't really be in big favor of no practice if nobody could really – I mean, if, if guys are going to get on the track and just be completely out to lunch, like just almost needing to come to pit road immediately to make adjustments to get the car around the track, then that's a problem. We can't have that. But with the, with the, with the technology we have today and the information and, and know-how, these guys are able to kind of get them cars reasonable – and, and we saw this in, in some of the racing already this week and at Darlington, guys that start good can fix their car as the race goes on. You'll see some guys that maybe weren't running well at the start of the race. All of a sudden, they've got their car tuned up. They've had a few opportunities on pit road. The crew chief has made the right choices to, uh, to make that car faster. That's an opportunity to shine a light on him and his team and his ability, uh, the driver's ability to communicate what he needs. So um, I, I kind of like less practice. And I would be fine going forward in the years beyond this pandemic if we, you know, kind of routed ourselves toward um, tightening up the race weekend a little bit. Bev Shannon wants to know, um, she says that she knows you're a fan of 70s and 80s racing, but her question is, do you listen to any music from those times? If so, who? Absolutely. Um, I, col- I started <laughs> collecting uh, some vinyl over the last several years and, most of my vinyl records are from the 70s. Boz Skaggs, I uh, was a big Boz Skaggs fan. 
But um, when I was in military school, I was a huge Boston fan. For like one year, I listened to Boston, and that was pretty much all I listened to. Grew up on a lot of old country, John Conley, huge fan of John Conley, Rose Colored Glasses, probably my favorite country song of all time. So yeah, I, I grew up in a house, you know, that played a lot of music. Dad was uh, a big fan of, you know, music and listened to Delbert McClinton and different people like that. Journey and, and all the popular, you know, bands from back then, 38 Special. So um, my mom also listened to a lot of music, Stevie Nicks. And, and um, so I, I had a huge, when I was six years old, I had a huge crush on Stevie Nicks and loved listening to her music, Fleetwood Mac and so forth. My mom was a huge Mick Fleetwood fan. So yeah, I listen to a lot of that music, love listening to it today. I was thinking about that the other day and I told Amy, I said, you know, I, my, my, the music that I listen to the most is probably kind of nineties alternative and pop punk and stuff like that from the last several decades. And I'm probably going to be listening to that stuff when I'm 70 or 80. And I wonder what Isla's reaction will be to the music that I like. Um, that'll be pretty fun to see how that works out. Mike could probably tell me already what that's going to be, but they're, they're not going to be the biggest fans. They probably aren't, yeah. which will make you want to play it louder. I don't know that I love a lot of current music and there's different genres and styles that sort of come out of the woodwork and just like grunge came out of, you know, just popped up in the nineties. I'm sure it didn't just pop up, but for me, that's what it was like. And there's music genres that come out of nowhere all the time. And, um, I kind of had to sift through some of the newer stuff to find what I like. But yeah, most of the music I listen to is is uh, from the from the '90s, the alternative sort of. You know who my girls do love though. And this is I wouldn't have ever saw this. You know they love Whitney Houston. Well, that does surprise oh. me. They love Whitney Houston. I mean, because she's got some pipes that just you don't hear anybody could even come close to it, right? I think that, yeah, there's going to be those iconic stars that I think that no matter what generation you are or how old you are, you're going to appreciate yeah. good music and good talent. And I think that's why that I like Boston. Like, I, I never would have saw myself as a Boston fan when I was, a, you know, 13 years old. But for whatever reason, I got a hold of that record and couldn't stop listening to it. So good music's good music. David Parker asks, how would you rate the Barney the Flagman tribute at Charlotte? Perfect. A 10 out of 10. It was awesome. (laughs) And I don't, Mike, you might have a little more intel on this than I do, but I feel like that something's changed for the better when it comes to NASCAR's social media handle. I've noticed that. I don't know what it is. Maybe I don't want to know, but... I really have enjoyed the content coming out of that social media handle last couple of days. And I don't, I don't think that it's just dumb luck. One would assume one would, one would make an argument that they've loosened up the, the social media guidelines yeah. of their employees. Like they're not taking themselves as seriously anymore. Right. And it's a real it's good look. I'll be honest with you. Yeah. And the fact that it went all the way up the pipe to the flag, the actual flag man buying in to this idea to do this tribute to a fictional character who, by the way, you know, the iRacing community, they, they, they are very, that's near and dear, right? <laughs> so, you know, but he is, a, he's, you know, Barney is a fictional character in, in sim racing lore. And for, NASCAR, you know, the, 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 they take themselves so seriously all the time to loosen up a little bit and do something like that. I thought it's a new trend that I'm really enjoying. I'm going to make it. I got a theory. This is not factual. 
It's a theory. I base it off nothing. I would say that this is a product of a change at the top that we've had in the last year. The Brian France era would have per permitted no such Barney tributes, but Steve Phelps and everything. I think Tim Clark, who you know we're friends with, and I think he's outstanding and creative. And I think Tim Clark is probably wanted to be doing things like this on those digital platforms for a long time. But I just theorize that it has to do with you know a different leadership, and that you know in all the ways that that trickles down, that's probably one such way. That's my theory. Well, I hope uh, either way it sticks around. Like I've, it's, it's not just that particular post. It's been a few other things that I've seen coming out of there that I've liked. I like the temperament and attitude going forward. The, 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 it was very clever. The, just during the rain delays it, uh, for the 600, they did that, you know, 2020, you know, like how they perceived, uh, you know, the year yeah. going and then how 2020's oh, reality right, is. Right. And it had just the, you know, the five wide of the jet blowers. You know, even that, you would have never seen yeah. anything. There was no sense of humor in any of those things. And I told Tim a long time ago, I'm like, man, y'all got to just show a little bit of, you know, personality in these things. I mean, because there's some funny people, you know, it would really do a lot, of, you know, as far as the perception of the sport. I just don't think that was ever anything that could they could do, but I think they're able to now. And man, whoever's doing that, that's uh, kudos to them. Enjoyable. Absolutely. Good job. All right, guys, that's it for today. Man, I hate to... Uh... Hate to have to end it, man. It's a lot of fun. I always enjoy coming on here and 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 doing this live. I know that uh, we got people tuning in right now, so that's always makes it a lot more fun. We record the podcast and then we put them out. Nobody's really listening to us recorded until it comes out. So this is always the best part of the show for me. Uh, thanks for Xfinity for supporting us uh, and supporting the Ask Junior segment, and appreciate everybody for uh, supporting and and following along, subscribing to. Uh, Dirty Mo Media social handles and our YouTube channel here. Last call. All right, everybody, last call. Got a couple uh, house cleaning items here. Uh, I was telling you guys a couple weeks ago about a, uh, a relief fund for the um, COVID-19 relief at pledgeit.org slash dash relief. We are just over $7,000 for that for that fund. And if it reaches 10,000, I will match it. That's our goal. So 3,000 to go for me to match. Six days left to do it, guys. Go check it out at pledgeit.org slash Junior dash relief. Hey, I want to add one more thing to last uh, last call. And that is just a quick update. I mean, you might notice for the second week in a row, Matthew's not here. We're wrapping up Lost Speedways. And I just want we get more excited as we get closer to this, you know, to this launch of Lost Speedways on Peacock. I want to just say one thing, though, to all of you great fans, and 99% of the responses have been fantastic, but there's always that one person that's like, you know, oh, another streaming service. Oh, God. You know, listen, first of all, don't have that approach in life. That's no way to go about your life. You're going to be miserable every time something new comes out. Moreover, you're eliminating the fact and the great possibility that this will be the best streaming service there is. I mean, because you've learned all the mistakes from all the other streaming services, and now this one has mastered that, and it's got better content, it's got better everything. And I'm going to tell you right now, I might be biased, but everything I've seen on Peacock looks pretty awesome. And that isn't just Lost Speedways. That being said, Lost Speedways will be fantastic. Dale Jr. called me. So, Dale Jr., you've done something that I did even. We kind of privately sent a link out to a friend or two just saying, hey, 
you're not supposed to see this, but give me some feedback. And Junior calls me, and he's like, "You are, we won't divulge who it is you send it out to because I don't think we should do that. But the reception we got back, they're blown away, right? Absolutely. You know, this. I'm so excited about this show because it's really our passion. It really is something that we wanted to do that, that I didn't know that we would ever get the chance to do. And that's kind of bring this sort of hobby of mine to, to the screen to show, to let other people enjoy, you know, over the years, I've uh, probably over the, over more than a decade, I've been cataloging and, and researching and exploring these, these raceways that are lost, that are abandoned, that have shut down for whatever reason, right? The curiosity for me is that they're physically still there. Some 20, 30, 40, 50 years since anybody's ever run a race there. And it's just this eerie, weird thing to go see it with your own eyes and to know that it's still the bankings there, the the, the guardrail, whatever may be left. It, it's like finding, it's kind of like, uh, you know, the Titanic or a boat resting on the bottom of the ocean floor and, and nobody can put their eyes on it. And so I want to bring that to the screen so we can all take a look. And some of these tracks have such, such interesting, crazy stories. And we, okay, so we take you to the racetrack and we show you the track itself and what condition it's in today. And there's a lot of different varying conditions. And then we also bring in some of the players, some of the drivers, some of the owners, people that were involved that were fans, historians of these racetracks to help, help tell their story. What are the, some of the most amazing things that happened there? Good and bad, tragic and sad. Tra yes, um, yes. We cover it all. And to me, we uncovered, opened up much, much more than I would have ever dreamed of. And as we're developing these episodes, they are coming to life, man. They are really, really a fun watch. Yeah. And so I'm excited for people to, uh, to see it. And I know that, you know, once we can get you to see this, you know, the, the first episode that it's going to be easy to get everybody to tune in and, and word of mouth and all that good stuff's going to happen. So I know that once we hit, once we're able to put it out there and let people see it, it's going to be great and can't wait to see the response. Cause I know it's going to be positive. Yeah. Peacock is available to Xfinity customers right now already but then uh july 15th is when our show goes on to peacock and i think it all goes there at once like you can binge it and uh yeah. I'm, and you're gonna you're going to if that's the case you're gonna binge it because you're not gonna be able to just stop with one and and that's just uh that's been the nice response that we've seen and we've been beta testing some of these uh with feedback and uh, that's what yeah. that's what we've been doing so anyways i just wanted to say that get that off my chest july 15th peacock it's gonna be worth it all right, guys, that's the show. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Thanks, Marcus, again for coming on. It's good to see everybody and good to, good to get a show done. Back in the – do some work. Gosh. Yeah. Sitting around this house and, and Memorial Day weekend now, that was nice. But I'm ready to get to work, so it's always fun doing the podcast. We can't wait to see you all next week. Check out Dirty Mo Media on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Dirty Mo.